God, we thank you for your, your care for us, your love for us, your grace. Lord, that you've given us your word and that you so consistently and faithfully call us back to yourself, Lord, when we begin to wander. And Lord, I thank you that that call back is, it's so evident, God, how much you love us when you do. Lord, that you are trying to keep us from straying into trouble. Lord, you're trying to prevent us from doing harm to our lives. And Lord, from from getting off the path of our calling, Lord, which is to glorify you. Lord, I pray that we would see within this text this morning, God, just ourselves in you, not condemnation, but Lord, we would see who we are in you, Jesus, and that we would respond in a way, Lord, that as Paul is going to say here in a moment, is like taking off an old garment and putting on a new one. And Lord, that we would recognize that there is this tendency in our flesh to go back to the old garments. Lord, to go back and try and wear that again. And Lord, I just pray that you would reveal to us in this time if we are doing that. Lord, if I'm wearing old socks, show me. Lord, if I'm wearing old things that, that should have been put away long ago, that were put away when I became a new creation, Lord, and I'm trying to put that stuff on, would you reveal these things? Lord, to me and to this church, be faithful, God, as you always are, to show us so that we can be more like you. So, Lord, I just pray with, that we would have an honesty as we approach you this morning and that you would speak. And, Lord, make us more like you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the most encouraging observations of Christianity uh, didn't come from a scholar in the 19th century. It actually came from a linguist. Um, and it was really interesting, um, as he studied um, the ancient world, his name was Max Mueller. Um, Greek dominance, you know, no, in, in that era, no one was really interested in learning a foreign language. They weren't really interested in learning the languages of other people. The Greeks were the scholars, and they considered everyone else to be beneath them. And so to study the language of barbarians was so far beneath them, they didn't really care to know how they spoke. Everyone needed to become more like them, because they were the scholars of their day. And um, learning languages was, is a relatively new science. And Max Mueller said this in the 19th century. He wrote, not till that word barbarian was struck out of the dictionary of mankind and replaced by brother. Not till the right of all nations of the world to be classed as members of one genus or kind was recognized. Can we look even for the first beginnings of our science of language? This change was affected by Christianity. He calls out Christianity as the thing that started to knock down walls and break down barriers between people groups. It was Christianity which drew people together sufficiently to make them want to know each other's languages. It bound them with something that was more powerful than just being human beings together. It broke down the barriers that separated people between their belief systems because when Christ became the core, everything else went to the side. Everything else got tossed aside, and everything got brought into obedience in Christ. And so when people would come to Jesus, when they would become Christians, they were laying aside the sin and all the things that was, you know, attached to their lives prior, and they were one. There was unity. And this is how it still should be. It was a desire for community that was created through Christ. It was a family that was not based on gender, race, or demographic. It was a hope that crossed barriers in a world that was full of barriers. And then 
Because when Jesus, we, we, this, is, this is the part that we, we will recognize from Colossians. When Jesus is life, when he is our very life, as Paul told us they should be, all the walls that separate human beings crumble before his power to save and unite. Everything gets knocked down flat because we recognize that we are all created in the image of God and that we all serve him together. We don't come from all the corners of the world with our sin. As Paul is showing us here in Colossians 3, we take off the garment of sin and we put on the new self in Christ and we become unified in that process. And this is something that all of us is taking part of and being a part of right now. We're in this process. Not only have we been renewed and become a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, but we also recognize that we have both been renewed and are being renewed in that process. The second one of being renewed is sanctification. That's the process of being renewed continually, which is why it makes sense that Paul would teach these things to a church. You're like, why is he talking about, you know, taking off the old and putting on the new if they're already believers? Because we as Christians living in a sinful world are very tempted to listen to audio during church and, um, <laughs> I'll dog on Instagram. Um, no, but it, it's very, it's very tempting, um, for us to go back to those old ways, to put on those old garments again. That's called our flesh. And so we return back to these things. Alyssa, that was for you. I just <laughs> feel like, man, uh, you're lucky I love you, right? You guys, as we submit to the word of God, I want us to come to these times continually with this attitude of understanding that we have, we have flesh. And that there could be things in our lives that we have either put back on from the past or we are at this very moment trying to get back on. And I want us to recognize that and I want us to call it out and I want us to deal with it, both individually and collectively as a body. Because God, in his grace and in his love, has given us his word and he's calling us to respond to his merciful correction. Please understand this. It's merciful correction. He's not condemning people who are who are, are dealing with this, he is mercifully correcting us in grace, saying, no, 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 that's not, you know better than that. It's like a parent lovingly correcting their child. And as he shows us how to cross the barriers that stand in our culture, um, we need to realize that the only way that we do that is the power of the cross. The cross is that. Then, the way that we cross barriers in our culture is that we recognize that how many people are trying to cross barriers in our culture because of their own internal goodness? How many people are saying, we just need to get everyone together and just have a big hug? You know, remember the old ad campaign? Let's all get together and share a Coke, right? It's not going to work like that. The only thing that bridges the barriers between cultures, between race, between gender, between all of these things that's bridging people apart, all these accusations that, that people throw at each other, the thing that bridges that is Jesus. And what's interesting is how often, we need to be really careful about this, how often the church is trying to remove the, the parts of scripture that say, yeah, but you have to leave your sin behind. They want to bridge those gaps and say, just come as you are. No, no, no. You understand you come to Jesus as you are for a cleansing, for a change of garment. That change of garment is the stripping of the old and the putting on of the new. And what that looks like is exactly what Paul's talking about. And so we're going to face what he deals with here, beginning in verse 8 in Colossians 3, as he continues this teaching about what the new self really looks like. We read last week about putting to death what belongs to earthly nature, and he dealt with sexual immorality in several different ways. 
And he talked about um, that greed that leads us to that desire for more, that idolatry that worships self. And so now he's going to continue on with things that we need to put away. And he's going to deal really with two specific things um, that he's going to use three different words to call out. And we'll talk about those individually. So beginning in verse 8 of Colossians 3, Paul continues. And he continues with the things that we are to put away. But now, he says, put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In Christ, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Amen? Love that passage. You guys, as we consider the things that separate us from other people, um, the imagery here is striking. The imagery here is striking, and he begins by calling us to deal with ourselves. He calls us to deal with our own things before we can be um, those who are in unity with others. When early Christians would get baptized, they take off their old clothes, and when they came out of the water, they would be they would be given white robes, a white robe to put on. And again, it's part of that baptism thing where it's it's an image. It's like this is something that's happened on the inside, but this is a picture of what's happened on the inside. The old has come off, and when you come out of the water, here's the new, and it's a picture of the cleansing of our souls. It's the cleansing of our sin by Christ that happens within. We know this is a heart issue, but think about that imagery that Paul's calling on. He's literally using terminology that says you take off this clothing, you put on this clothing. It was symbolic of what had happened within, and the happenings within are what Paul's focused on throughout this letter. The old self contained the, the listed characteristics that he gives here. The new self ought to be rid of them. And so this is very convicting stuff. This is very convicting stuff because how often do we see these things, as we're about to get into more detail with them, rear their ugly heads? It's easy to read those words and be like, anger, wrath, malice. Sure, I, I mean, that, that all sounds pretty extreme. I'm more like irritated, annoyed, and problematic. You know, like I, we, we, we always try and kind of dumb those things down in our own lives, but believers are not to be sin hoarders of these things. When we look at how they're described, we are not to be sin hoarders. And by that, I mean this, we, we are actually taking those sins and putting them somewhere. We talked about this last week. We're stashing them somewhere. We're not actually getting rid of them. We're just hiding them away. We can't keep putting those back in the closet and leaving them there to be tempted to wear them. Do you know how my wife gets rid of that ugly old t-shirt that I keep wearing? She says, why are you wearing that? It smells terrible and it has holes in it. She throws it away. She throws it away, or she puts it out, you know, in the garage, and I'll use it for oil stuff. I'm like, oh, my shirt, oh, I can still wear it, you know, but like, if you think about this, we have to get rid of those things. We <laughs> She's like, two more chairs, or I'm putting this back in the closet. Here's the thing, we, we can't go back to this. You know, what's funny is people listening to the podcast will probably have no idea what I'm talking about. So, you guys... We can't keep going back to the things of the past and putting them on. And a lot of times we, we are tempted to do so because we're leaving them in an available place. We're putting those things within our grasp. Don't put that stuff back in the closet. Paul calls us to go into the closet and be sure, are any of these things still hanging out with the new? 
Is any of this stuff still in there? Have you not dealt with things that need to be dealt with? Are there any of the following still hanging there? And like that frayed pair of undies, it's time to say goodbye. It's time to say goodbye. You know, like I'm on a sock cleanse right now. Do you guys ever do this? You'll like buy socks in bulk, you know, and, and then all of a sudden, of course, at that one point in time, they all start getting holes in them. So every day I'm like, man, I'm on a sock cleanse right now. Like every day I was like, well, that's the last day for that pair, you know? And so my wife's like, where are your socks? Like we bought them all at the same time. I have good rotation. That's what that means. I have really good drawer rotation. Anyway, it's time to say goodbye. So Paul says this, put away all the following. We're going to list these things out. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, filthy language. And he says, and don't lie. Okay. First three are anger related. Obviously the first one's anger, but wrath and malice are connected to that. The last three, you can probably see it already, are what? Speech related. Think about this. Slander, filthy language, and lies. First three are anger-related, second three are speech-related. We'll get into this. The anger, the word that he talks about, Greek word that he used. Obviously, we know Paul, and we see in our translation there's a word used for anger, there's a word used for wrath. So he's using two different words here. Anger, the Greek word is orge. It's a slow-burning, beneath-the-surface type anger. We call this brooding, right? This is something I would connect to bitterness. This is that low, slow burn. You know like when you have a, a, a fire, like a slash pile? And you know, it's not raging, but it's smoking. It's like that burning that's happening underneath the surface that you can't see, but it's going on. It's happening. It's the brooding simmering anger that may not be visible, but we know it's power to consume from within, don't we? Even though it's not visible, how much damage is happening underneath? It's torching. Paul says, get rid of it. Church, before we... Before we can really go forward in this list of things and really deal with them, I want to remind you of everything that Paul has taught thus far, the power of Christ, the power of Jesus in our lives, and remind you none of this is going to be possible without the Holy Spirit because you cannot self-reform. Self-reform doesn't last. The Holy Spirit reforms us from the inside out. And so when we are addressing these things, we have to recognize this is reformation from the inside out. This is Christ changing us from the heart outwards. And so when we say get rid of it, that means that we come to the cross. We come to Jesus and we say, I'm done with this. It's so hard to let things go that we're angry and bitter over. That's the fuel for that fire. If you remove the things that are causing that to burn, what happens? It goes out. A lot of times we're holding on to things when it's that kind of inner, that orge burning, that low level underneath the surface. We can carry that weight for decades. We can carry that weight for a lifetime. We can carry that anger inside of us. How many of us, and this may be our own story, but how many of us at least know somebody who holds on to things forever, holds on to that bitterness, holds on to that anger, and will not let it go? That is the old life. That needs to be given up. It needs to be put away. It's not the new self, and it's not new life in Christ. And just because it's not on the surface and everybody can see it doesn't mean that it's not in the heart. We have to examine ourselves. We have to know, is this cleaned out of me? Is it gone? James 1, verses 19 through 21 says, My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. 
And notice verse 20 says, for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Your anger is not getting God's work done. In fact, your anger is destroying you. He says, therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. You know what happens when you go to the Lord and you, and you confess these things to him? He wants to plant his word inside of you to replace that anger. He wants to plant himself deep inside of you to replace that thing that's been fueling that fire. You realize that a lot of times we run out of energy to do spiritual things that God's called us to do is because we're burning on something besides the spirit. We've got some other fire going on inside of us, and the fuel for that is actually sin. It's not actually God himself fueling us. And he says, you need to humbly receive the implanted word. You need the word of God in your heart. Human anger doesn't accomplish God's righteousness. And he continues on in Colossians 3 as Paul talks about the next thing. First, it's anger. It's that underneath the surface type anger. Now he deals with wrath. You can probably guess what this is. Wrath would be the Greek word that they would compare to putting fire to straw. How quickly does that ignite? Fast, right? Burns very quickly, very hot. And then what happens? It goes out quickly. It doesn't continue for a long period of time. Paul's calling out two types of anger here. He's like, your outbursts, no place for it. That slow brooding, you know, I hate you for a thousand years, that, that has no place either. These both have to go. The quick to blaze and quick to go out, both that and the brooding anger are addressed. And while James 1.19 certainly applies to both types of anger that we just saw on the screen, this wrath is the type that I think of when it says be slow to anger. This is the one that I think of because oftentimes when I get upset, it's quick. It's a burning thing. It's, it's, like, putting, it's like putting straw to flame. It flares up real quickly. And a lot of times I die down real quickly. This is the one I recognize in my life. That's the one that, that, that happens in me more. I, I typically don't struggle too much with like holding on to things. Although as I get older, I'm learning in a bad way. Like, that's not a good thing. You're like, oh, good, he's learning. No, it's, it's, it's a fleshly thing that I struggle with. I struggle with that more now than I used to. But especially when I was younger, it was that, that, that quick flare-up anger, that reactive anger. And as we grow in relationship with Christ, the burst of temper should, be, should become something of our past. That burst of temper needs to become something of the past because it's the old self. It's not the new self. This isn't you in Christ Don't hoard it. Confess it. Repent of it. And I think this step is important. Allow someone to come alongside you and help bear your burden. You need to have someone that's praying for you that you're talking to about this stuff. And someone who has the authority in your life to look and go, knock it off. We need that person. You guys know who that person is. In your life, you're like, I don't have anyone. That, I'm just too, I'm a rage monster. You know, like they, they wouldn't dare say that to me. That is a big problem. If you're such a rage monster that people can't address your stuff, that is a very crucial thing to deal with in your life because we have to be able to hear correction. You have to be able to hear when the Lord corrects you and when he sends someone to correct you. How many of you had someone come into your life to correct you? I mean, like walk up and go, you're wrong. You shouldn't be doing this. And how well did you receive it? It's hard, isn't it? It's really hard to be told that we're wrong, but if we can't receive that, then we are a sin hoarder. And we're not letting anyone touch our stash. We need to let someone go through our closets and deal with this. 
Okay, anger, that's the slow burning. Wrath, that's the flame up. And now he says malice. And this is an interesting word if you look at it in the Greek. Um, it, there's some difficulty in translating it and really getting a, a real tight fix on it. The best defined way that I found was a viciousness of mind. How often does our anger connect to that? Does anger or something that's under the surface or an outburst connect to a viciousness of mind? This seems to be a very natural segue. And when anger isn't cast away from us, it leads to the intention or desire to do evil. When we let that remain inside of us, it starts corrupting us. It starts turning us. There's always a digression when sin's allowed to remain in our hearts. And James describes it when he reveals that we're tempted by our own desire to sin. James 1, going back a little farther than the James passage we looked at in verse 13, he says this, No one undergoing a trial should say, I'm being tempted by God. Since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when he's drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Going in a direction, and it's never a good direction, and that vicious or anger in a direction, and eventually it comes out. Even the anger that's underneath the surface can't stay hidden there forever. It's going to work its way all the way out. And removal of anger and focusing on the heart and mind of Christ, who is our life, is the antidote for malice in our lives. If you don't want to have a vicious, viciousness of mind, and don't pretend like you haven't felt that way. This, see, the reason I connect this to anger is, first of all, Paul just says it right in line with it. But when somebody makes me upset, what's the first thing I want to do? Bless them? <laughs> I mean, don't pretend like you haven't had a vision of burning someone's house down before. You have. Like, that, that's just, I mean, we have these, these responses to things. Somebody makes me upset. Someone hurts me in some way. I get angry, and I want to reciprocate. You know, like, that's, that's the flesh. That's the old garment. That's the frayed pair of undies, guys. It's true, Austin. But here's the thing. Like, are we, are we dealing with these things? Are we recognizing these things? And do we recognize them in the moment as being anti-God, as being anti-Christ? You're not the Antichrist, but you know what I mean. Like, it's, it's anti-Jesus, okay? It's the old self. It's not the new self. Focusing on Christ and dwelling in him, letting him be our life is the antidote for malice in our lives. It's crazy how often we forget that the Lord expects us to rest in him, and that's usually where the peace, that's usually where the right mindset comes from, and where things just start to melt away. Oh, it doesn't go away instantly. That's why I talk about both being renewed and being renewed, because often we need to continually be renewed because people will continue getting in our our faces with things. Issues will continue rearing up. We have those customers in our lives. We have those family members in our lives. We have those classmates in our lives. We know that we're going to continue to be hit with things. And we have to continually come before the Lord. And we have to ask him both to cleanse us of these things. And we need to ask him to make us wise about things that he is wise about. To make us wise about the things that are good. Think about this. Romans 16, 19. Paul said this to the church in Rome. He said, the report of your obedience has reached everyone. By the way, I hope that that's said about us, that our church 
and I've said this so many times before, this is my heart, that our church becomes known for obedience. Not flashy, not cool. That is an obedient church. They do what God puts in front of them to do. And Paul says this, the report of your obedience, Romans 16, 19, has reached everyone. Therefore, I rejoice over you. Because of that, I'm rejoicing. But I want you to be wise about what is good and yet innocent about what is evil. Anger leads us to a viciousness of mind, which leads us to the types of things of being wise and what's evil, what's wrong, thinking about it, dwelling on it, allowing that to consume us. That's being wise to what is evil. And he says, I want you to be about wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. I am never sorry at all when one of my kids comes to me and goes, so-and-so said this. What is that? I'm like, yes. Because they'll, they'll come to me with things and be like, I heard this terminology. I'm like, what? I mean, how many times as parents have we heard that? I want my kids to be innocent to what is evil. Not removed from society and not able to handle things. I want them to be innocent to wickedness. I wish that I could go back. How many of us wish we could go back and be more innocent to evil through our childhood? If I could have just not seen that, if I could have just not hung out with that person, if I could have just not been in that location, how much do we desire to be removed from that kind of evil? And this is what the Lord says, that's what I want. He wants us to be innocent to evil and wise to what is good. Know much about me and little about wickedness. Jeremiah lamented over the opposite of that situation, the skill of his people at doing evil. Jeremiah said this in Jeremiah 4.22, the second half of that verse. They are skilled, speaking of his people, in, in doing what is evil, but they do not know how to do what is good. They are skilled at sinning, and they are unskilled at righteousness. It should never be us. It should never be us. We become wise about what is good by dwelling richly in the word of Christ. That's where we gain that wisdom. We dwell richly in it. And oftentimes we are far too skilled in things of this world and not the purity of Jesus. By the way, you know where that comes from? What you soak in. It's what you soak in. How much time do we give to entertainment? How much time do we give to media? How much time do we give to, and I'm not saying that like enjoying a sporting event is wrong, but if that's outweighing how much time you're dwelling in the word and you're soaking in the word of God, flip those tables, turn that over, change that paradigm in your life. The evidence of what we soak in often comes out of our mouths. And that's exactly where Paul's going next. Anger, wrath, malice, and he shifts right here. No, all of the old garments, once again, Paul's addressing here, involve interpersonal relationships, beginning with anger and continuing to what we say. This is interpersonal relationship type stuff. This is heavy hitting stuff, church. This is real time. This is things that we are in the midst of. This is things that we are wrestling right now. He begins with slander. You'll be very familiar with our um, modern day use of this word. The Greek word is blasphemia. What word are we talking about? Blasphemous, blaspheme, yeah. Here's the interesting part. This isn't blasphemy towards God. The way this word's being used is slander or blaspheming towards each other. Did you know that you can blaspheme another person? 
Now, we understand that blasphemy in the name of God is a higher degree here. Like, that's like, okay, don't talk bad about God, but God expects you not to blaspheme each other either. He expects you not to slander one another, to talk, okay, let's put it into real, he, talk, he expects you not to talk smack about each other, right? And he says, slander needs to go. What else? Filthy language. This is not limited to cussing. You're like, well, I try hard not to swear unless I'm doing car work, you know? <laughs> <laughs> all the guys in the room go because that's when that's when we put that garment on that's when we go back to that old set of clothes there's nothing like dropping a wrench on your forehead underneath a car you know there, there's nothing like having hot liquids from your vehicle drip on your neck there's there's just some really awesome experiences that you get to I mean and we understand this goes in all kinds of directions but you guys this is not limited to cussing this extends to anything that is unclean in your speech Anything that is unclean in your speech. All right. I'm not going to speak to the gals because I don't want to accuse you of anything. But dudes, we struggle with this. How much innuendo comes out of our mouth? How much do we pass off because it's joking? Oh, I was just goofing around. No, 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 no. Filthy language of any sort of any kind should not be on our lips. Even on social media, anywhere. It shouldn't be on our lips, you guys. And by the way, consider anything that you type out to be coming from your lips, all right? That's it. It's coming from your lips and your thumbs. It's all coming from the heart, but you understand what I'm saying. You're saying it via media or you're saying it out loud. You guys, things that we are writing, things that we are saying, it's the same thing. This includes jokes, innuendo. You can have, as, as you know, my parents, good, clean fun. But here's the thing. Are we mis misrepresenting Christ by things that we say, by things that we allude to, by things that we joke about? This is the old life. Guys, this is conviction for me. This is conviction for so many different areas in my life as I look at these lists that Paul gives. Do not lie, he says. Sometimes this means that we must focus on thinking through what we say before we say it. And, and so I, I want to call this to a little bit deeper than just like telling a bold-faced lie. It's not often you look at somebody and be like, I didn't do that. You know, and like you actually, I mean, that happens. But oftentimes you're like, well, I'm not a liar. Like I, I tell the truth. Think about it this way. How often do we say something and, and not realize that we're just not intentionally but actually lying about something? that we are misinformed or we didn't think through what we were saying, and so what we ended up saying was not actually authentic or true. So here, here's what I, how I want us to view this. I'm not necessarily calling, I mean, obviously, I think the intentional, just bold-faced lie is kind of just known. You shouldn't do that. But here's what I want us to stop and think about. How often do we inadvertently lie because we didn't take enough time to think about what we said before we said it? We didn't slow ourselves down, just like James said. Therefore, let everyone be slow to speak. Be quick to listen, but slow to speak and slow to anger. Do you ever think about that slow to speak part? That slow to speak part is not only meaning that what you're saying is going to be more helpful, but it also gives you a chance to fact check yourself. Be like, oh, heads up. That's not actually true. A lot of times when we are quick to speak, we're just trying to be right not necessarily be true. And how many of us are guilty of trying to be right and not true? A lot of times being true in the moment in conversation with somebody means that you're going to be shown to be wrong. 
So don't be quick to speak. We don't want to lie to each other. We don't want to misrepresent God. Intentional lies are deliberate, but if we are slow to speak, that type of lying that may happen inadvertently just because we're not thinking it through will start to dissipate. And regarding these final three, it's going to be up on the screen here. They're speech-related. They're old garments that we need to get rid of. There are positive commands that can be learned from them. Christian speech should be kind. Christian speech should be pure. And Christian speech should be true. I think that we need to think about those types of things. You know, kind of like in that Philippians 4, 8 kind of way, whatsoever things, you know, that whole list and like, think about these kind of things. Is my speech kind? Is my speech pure? Is my speech true? And, and this is one of those things I encourage, I mean, anyone, but especially the young people, because as you're growing up, it's, it, you're, you're kind of defining these things in your life. Write it down on an index card and tape it to your bathroom mirror. Is what I say kind? Is what I say pure? is what I say true. And just think about that all day long because soaking in the word of God is your best preparation to be saying those kinds of things. Soaking in the word of God. And he says this as he finishes verse 9. He says, since you have put off the old self with his practices. He goes, you need to put off all these things since you have put off the old self with its practices. He goes, your old self, this was your life. And we have put on the new self. He says, you are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. You should look like Jesus. You should be looking more like Jesus every day. Having put on the new self in Christ, we experience both immediate change and progressive change. We're being renewed. It's a process that's happening in us. And that's really encouraging for me because a lot of times I want to see instantaneous, don't you? You know, we love the big, the big healing. We love the miraculous sign. We love those types of things. But so often, God's taking us through this process. And the process is hard. It's difficult. It involves persecution and trials and all of these things that just we just put under the yuck category. I don't want to go through any of that. But we're in the process of being renewed. We're, being, we're renewed and being renewed at the same time, and we often want the demonstrative change. And while we should change instantly when we come to Christ, we should change instantly when we come to Christ. This process continues, and it's called sanctification. We come to realize that we experience both instant and continual renewal. There's some lessons to be learned as we look at our lives as we grow in a human sense, but also in a spiritual sense, and it makes us grow continually in grace and knowledge until we reach what we were finally meant to be, and that is full humanity in the image of God. That's what we are called to be, human beings made in the image of God. That's who we're meant to be. So he finishes in verse 11 for at least our section today, and he says this, in Christ. Notice all this comes first. Verse 11, in Christ, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Just so you understand the class system that would be at work here, the Greeks looked down on the barbarians. The Jews looked down on every other nation. They were God's people, and everyone else was not. They were very literally fuel for the fires of hell. 
all the other nations, not worth it, just the Jews. That's generally how they thought in this time. The Scythians, this is an interesting people group. They were more barbarians than the barbarians. If they were barbarians to the barbarians, they would be the Scythians. And by that, basically, this is how you can understand it. They were just short of being animals, wild animals. That's how they were viewed, the Scythians. Slaves in the ancient world didn't have rights. They were not classified as human beings. They could be killed mercilessly in Greek culture, and there was no penalty whatsoever. They were tools with no rights. Do you realize how far separated these classes are? How far separated this is? We look around our world today, and we watch the debates that we're seeing on TV like every week. Can we feel more separated from other human beings than we do at times? It's like I couldn't disagree with some people more on things that they say and things that they believe. You really don't think that these barriers exist now. They absolutely do. And I tell you this, the answer is not a Coca-Cola. It's not. There is only one thing that can bridge this gap. There is only one who can tear down these walls. The cross changed everything. These groups here were not associating with each other. The barriers of class, status, and ethnicity were as thick and insurmountable as ever. And this is what Paul's saying to a dominated Greek church in Colossae. He goes, there is no separation in this church. You are a body. You are a family. The cross changed everything. Jesus broke down every wall. He erased all the lines that separate class and race and produced a body made up of human beings from all locations, all backgrounds, and unified them through his blood. Amen? He, he took all the lines away that separated us. You look around this room, this is hodgepodge. We came from so many different places. We have so many different views. And you know what? We are not mixed up enough. We don't have enough variety here. We need more. You want to know why? Because commonality should not be found in our, 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 our similarity of hobby. Commonality should be found in Christ. And if we come together as people who are common, who have commonality in Jesus, we're connected only because of Jesus. Do you realize what the world does when that happens? When people from every nation, every race come together and say, you know what? We come from different languages. I mean, there's, there's so many barriers between us. There's no way we could have even gotten in connection with each other. And Jesus knocked all of those flat. Do you know what the world does when the church actually comes together and unifies the way it should in submission to Jesus? They sit up and they look. Wait, what? That's the point. That's the point of the church. That's the point is that we come together and show people that there is unity under one under Jesus Christ alone, and that he's the one that binds us together. It's why, in the very near future, you're going to experience something in this church that will make you uncomfortable on purpose. I'm going to start erasing, intentionally, the lines that divide young people from older people. Intentionally. You're like, how dare you? We need our peers. Oh, trust me, friendships that will happen because of demographic and friendships that happen because of your similarity in age and, 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 and hobby and all those things, those just happen. I don't have to work for those to happen. Do you know what I have to work for? I have to work to get young guys to hang out with older guys. I have to work to get young gals to hang out with older gals. They're like, I like older gals. Then invite them on your vacations with you. <sighs> I mean, I like them, but... 
like like him? One of the most beautiful stories I heard recently was about a 70-year-old guy who was in a church with a group of young adults who were all in their 20s, and he went on vacation with them to Mexico. They all saved up their money and went to Mexico together. They're all from the same church, and they invited him. They invited him. Why? Because they felt sorry for him? No, he was their friend. He was their brother. They spent time with him. You're like, that's impossible. Not according to Colossians 3, it's not. Jesus knocks down all those walls. I aim to make you very uncomfortable in this church. You're like, that's disgusting. No, it's godly. I recognize that if we are uncomfortable, we are going to be healthy. We can't slip into this lethargy. We can't slip into this place where all we're looking for is to be cozy. We weren't called to be cozy. We were called to be Christians. And oftentimes, yes, there's a time for rest, but oftentimes the church is just trying to get comfortable rather than get out of its comfort zone. That's why our communities suffer. Jesus paid too high of a price for us to be cozy. Jesus paid the price so that we would get out of the zone and get into each other's lives and be the church so that the world will sit up and take notice. Amen? It's our calling, people. I got a very lackluster amen there that worries me, but we're going to get there. Don't worry. We're going to get a strong amen later. (laughs) I, I expect this to take time. Trust me. You guys... But here's the thing, all our desires of the flesh removed and cast aside, that's the first step. Our flesh cast aside is the first step. We can't expect people, this sounds horrible. Here's the thing, we have to deal with sin first, but when we deal with sin and we come together as those robed in the righteousness of Christ, he takes us on to this. This becomes natural. He erased all the lines and produced a body that's made up of human beings from all these different backgrounds. And in his righteousness and walking in obedience, we collectively strive to honor him as one people. Never forget, church, as we, as we bring this to a close, that when Jesus is our life, he is in us and he is our everything. Christ is in us all and he is our all. We open our arms to the world and we welcome them to meet a savior who has done all this in our lives and wants to save them as well. It doesn't matter the background. We lay aside the weight and the sin, and we run the race together, looking to Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Romans 10, verses 11 through 13, by way of reminder, because this is a powerful passage. Paul says, For the scripture says, Everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame, since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, Because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. Verse 13, Romans 10, 13. This is one of those verses we talked about last week, guys. Let's memorize it. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How many? Everyone. Do you know how they come to realize oftentimes that they need the Lord? There's a church nearby that makes them sit up and take notice. And they recognize, "I I don't have what they have. That's not normal. That's unreal. I'm going to have the worship team come on back up, and um, we're going to take communion together this morning.
it's just a great uh, reminder to remember who um, we are in Christ. And, and, and I recognize that none of the things that we want to see happen in our community are going to happen because we work really hard. I think we should work really hard. Don't get me wrong. But the reason that people are going to get saved is the working of the Holy Spirit. It's going to go to the glory of God. You see, oftentimes, self-reform, we try and think of ourselves in a way that if we can just do this enough, we can just repeat this enough, we can just get this enough. I just want us all to come to the cross. I just want us all to come and remember this. Jesus died for you. He died for me. He allowed his body to be broken for us. He allowed himself to be gashed open for his blood to pour out for us. And when we take communion, we are remembering that he did that because he loved us. That we love him because he first loved us. And so I'm going to have the crew come out and and distribute communion. We're going to sing a song and then we'll take communion together. But let's just joyfully remember what Christ did for us.